It's been said that the gospel has two sides, a believing side and a behaving side. For the past several months, we've been looking at the believing side of Romans. Now it's time to get to the behaving side. You know, Paul has spent 11 chapters making sure we understand the gospel and how salvation has been made available to everyone. Now he makes sure we understand how to put it into practice. And he introduces this practical side of the gospel by urging us to become living sacrifices, giving us both the motive and the method of doing so. We begin with the motive for sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, there are two basic motives for sacrifice, what we're going to get or what we've already received. You know, many people are willing to sacrifice in order to get something. And even though we may not want to, most of us understand the need to sacrifice immediate gratification for the promise of something better. We save our money or keep credit available. We work an extra shift or go without something else. As long as we think what we want is worth it and we're convinced we can get it, we're willing to sacrifice. Now, some people approach their relationship with God like that. They're willing to give up sin for a season if by doing so they think they can earn eternal life. But as we've seen, no one can earn eternal life. None of us can sacrifice enough to merit salvation. But even if we could, sacrificing to get something is the weaker of two motives. How many times have we started on a course of sacrificing only to decide the goal wasn't worth it? So we settled for a cheaper car or decided we really didn't need something we thought we needed. So Paul urges us to sacrifice on the basis of the higher motive, what we've already received. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Because of all that God has done for you, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You know, when we understand what God has done for us, the sacrifice he has made for us, we should be willing to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, I realize this appeal may fall on deaf ears in our entitlement-oriented society. We've been led to believe we deserve everything we've been given and more. 
Some of us do, however, realize that's just not true, especially when it comes to God. He owes us nothing. If he gave us what we deserved, he would have condemned us long ago. So the mercies of God motivate us. And we respond with gratitude for what he has done. As one writer has put it, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. I like that. Religion, for us, isn't trying to gain favor from the gods. We don't sacrifice a virgin to the volcano in the hopes that it will be appeased for a time. Our religion, if we dare to even call it that, is based on the fact that God loved us enough to die for us. That he has already done what needed to be done and has already promised to meet our temporal and eternal needs. All he wants from us is gratitude. Life-changing gratitude. And Paul urges us to express that gratitude by presenting our bodies as living, holy sacrifices. And do notice that Paul tells us to present our body, not our spirit. You know, it's not enough just to say, well, my heart belongs to Jesus. The spirit is often willing when the flesh is weak. So Paul challenges us to present our body. And by that, he means our whole self. Don't spiritualize the sacrifice. Make it real. Give yourself body, soul, and spirit as a living sacrifice. Express your gratitude by committing your physical being, your thoughts and desires, and your spiritual longings to the one who gave himself body, soul, and spirit for you. The one who died for you. Who said, not my will, but thine be done and who left the glories of heaven to come to earth. Doing so, Paul says, is acceptable to God. The word actually means well-pleasing. God knows you understand what he did for you on the cross when you give yourself to him as a living sacrifice, and it pleases him. There's no way we can repay him, but we certainly want to thank him and please him. And a living sacrifice pleases him much more than did the dead sacrifices that littered the altar in the Old Testament. You know, those sacrifices cost the worshipers something, but offering yourself as a living sacrifice costs you everything. And doing so is without a doubt an act of worship. Or as our text here translates it, a spiritual service of worship. Now, the words Paul actually used here have been variously translated. And the most literal translation is reasonable service. That's the way I memorized 
the 12th chapter of Romans years ago from the King James. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word translated reasonable means that which is rational, intelligent, and deliberate. The Greek mystics used it to describe sacrifices that weren't perfunctory in nature, but sacrifices that were given much thought and then willingly made. So it's not just that a living sacrifice is reasonable, an appropriate response to what God has done. It is a willing, thought-out, spiritual response to what he has done. It is, in fact, an act of worship. Now, there are several words that can be translated worship. And the most common is the word that means to kiss toward, to do homage to bow before. But the word used here actually means to work for hire, to serve. It was used of those serving in the tabernacle and came to refer to any work or service that was done for God. Paul is saying that reasonable spiritual worship isn't just bowing before God on Sunday. It's serving him every day in the home, in the workplace, in society at large as a living sacrifice. When we understand the sacrifice he made for us, we should be more than willing to do that for him. That is the motive for sacrifice. But how do we do it? How do we make certain we are offering God reasonable service that is acceptable as worship? He tells us. Let's read on. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Years ago, I was teaching a class at church camp, and a girl made a comment that I've never forgotten. She said, the problem with living sacrifices is that they tend to crawl off the altar. Now, I loved it, and I've often quoted her and applauded her insight. Then I discovered that Moody had said it years earlier. Now, I don't know whether she read it or simply listened to her preacher when he quoted another preacher. In fact, Moody may have been quoting someone else when he said it. But it really doesn't matter who said it first. It's a great thought. And it raises a really good question. What is it that keeps a living sacrifice on the altar? You know, living sacrifice, by its very nature, has to be free. It, has to, it, it, it ceases to be a living sacrifice in the fullest sense of the word if it's forced to remain on the altar against its will. 
If we're to be a living sacrifice, we can't be bound to the altar as animals were bound with cords to the horns of the altar before they were slaughtered. We can't even be forced to stay on the altar by a voluntary act of the will in the past because we said we would do so. You know, when Paul told us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, he used the past tense. It's something he urged us to do, and we did it. We crawled upon the altar. Staying there, however, is a continual process. So Paul changed to the present tense when he told us what would be necessary to remain there. A living, holy sacrifice is one that remains set apart for service to God. And in order to remain set apart, to remain holy, we have to remain different from the world. We can't allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. I love the way J.B. Phillips paraphrases this. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And we all know how easy it is to be squeezed into the world's mold. It's the most natural thing in the world to begin thinking, looking, and acting like those all around us. But that's exactly what Paul says we must avoid if we are going to be living sacrifices. God wants us to be different. So rather than being conformed to the world, we are to be transformed. The word for transformed is the word from which we get our word metamorphosis, how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It refers to a radical change that is much deeper than a surface conformity. Rather than allow the world to be changing us from the outside into its image, we must allow ourselves to be continually changed from the inside into the image of Christ. That's the only way we can remain a living sacrifice that is acceptable to God. But how do we do it? How do we keep that transforming process alive? Paul says we do it by renewing our mind, by making God's thoughts our thoughts. The world tries to squeeze us into its mold by bombarding us with worldly messages. It constantly tells us through the media and music and just neighborly advice what we need and what we deserve and what we ought to be. If we're going to remain holy, different from the world, we've got to let God challenge those messages. We've got to allow him to speak. And this he does through his word and his spirit, and his people. That means if our minds are to be renewed, purged of the pollution the world constantly pumps in, we've got to be 
in the Word. We've got to know what God has said. We've got to study this book. We do that collectively with the help of God's people through sermons and classes and Bible studies. And we do it individually through personal study and meditation and memorization. We've got to be in the Word if we expect to remain holy. And we study it not to be scholars, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as we fill our minds with God's word, his spirit enables us to understand it, to apply it to specific situations, and to put it into practice. That is how we avoid conformity with the world. That is how we are transformed. That is how we remain on the altar as living, holy sacrifices that are acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then as our minds are renewed, We begin to see things from God's perspective. We begin to understand what God is doing in our lives and in the world. And we begin to understand his will. And as we gain understanding of his will, we gain an appreciation for it. That which at one time was so at odds with our way of thinking because our thinking had been shaped by the world, now is seen to be good. And the more good we can see in God's activity, the more acceptable it becomes to us. And eventually we come to embrace God's will as perfect. We don't even question it. We simply seek to know it and do it. At that point, we have become living sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God. We're motivated to serve him by the mercies he's shown to us. And we are continually being made fit for service by allowing him to transform us into something that is truly holy something that can be used to demonstrate to the world that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul has turned the corner here from believing to behaving. And he's going to get even more specific as he offers example after example of just what that behavior behaving should look like. But for now, I think it's enough to understand that because of what Christ did for us and what God has promised to do for us, we should be willing to surrender our all to him. We should be willing to become living Sacrifices holy and acceptable to him, which is the most reasonable, rational, 
and spiritual act of worship we can offer. If you've not done so, I invite you to climb upon the altar. And if you have, I implore you to remain there as a living sacrifice, one that is continually being transformed into the image of Christ through study of his word, the power of his spirit, and the fellowship of his people. We have every reason to surrender our all to him. Let's do so.